uh, kicking off a new series that we are going to be doing here at Life at Six over the next couple of weeks, uh, which is exciting. New series are always good, eh? Um, So we are going to be looking actually at the book of James. So this is a little book in the New Testament. If you haven't read it, then I encourage you over the next couple of weeks to to be reading through it. And um, hopefully there'll be some things as you're reading that'll be that God will speak to you through. But also uh, as a church, there's some stuff that we can sort of learn together as we work through it over the next couple of weeks. So that's pretty cool, eh? Um, so I, I'm going to sort of start by giving a little, co- a little bit of context to this book and um, talking about why it was written, how it was written, all that sort of stuff. <coughs> um, so the book of James was written by Jesus' younger brother, his little brother, right? So they say that um, he's his half-brother because obviously he wasn't conceived by, you know, half by the Holy Spirit, right? He was her mother and Mary and Joseph. Um, but he was still Jesus' little brother, which is, is pretty cool. Um, so he had sort of been on this journey with, with his brother and um, seen all the stuff that had happened. And then actually after Jesus' death and resurrection, he, um, and after Paul had, had had his encounter and that sort of stuff, and as he, Paul had gone off and started doing the um, missionary journeys to the different nations and sharing the gospel in those spaces, James actually rose up as one of the leaders within the church in Jerusalem. So you have to remember that in this time and in this context, it was still a predominantly Jewish church. There were some Gentiles and non-Jewish people who were coming to faith, um, but there was they were still kind of few and far between at this stage. Like we're still talking quite early days that this is happening, right? And then um, in Jerusalem, there was a there was um, a famine. There was a whole bunch of stuff that was going on. Stephen was stoned. So we know that account, right? So this is kind of like around that, that same time. So there was a whole amount of... What, um, Stephen was stoned. <laughs> you can give that whatever context you want. Yeah. Um, Stephen was stoned in the actual rock sense, not the, not the smoking sense. Um, but yeah, Stephen was stoned, so you can remember that. Put that on your timeline. Um, and so, but there's a, there's, there's a high amount of persecution that's happening in Jerusalem. And so you've got all these, these people that have grown up Jewish within this Jewish culture that have been waiting for generations for the Messiah to come, right? And then the Messiah comes and their world is turned upside down because his kingdom isn't the kind of kingdom that they'd expected. And then now they're trying to outwork this stuff where suddenly, you know, the first will be last and, and you, you know, you're serving and you're washing feet and the, everyone's equal, there's no Jew or Gentile. And it's like, oh man, they're trying to nut all of this stuff out and they're trying to relearn their culture and their faith and, and what it means to actually follow Jesus in this space. And then at the same time, their friends and their families and their church leaders are literally being killed and persecuted for their faith. And this is in the context, this is what's happening in the space that this letter is being written. And so the church within Jerusalem due to the persecution is scattered across all different places throughout Europe. And, and James is still in, in Jerusalem and he has, starts hearing reports of, of his people that are now in all these different lands that are really struggling to integrate with these new cultures, with their new faith and how they're treating people and, and how they're you know, outworking all this stuff, and they're really starting to, to kind of fall apart and really struggle within these spaces. And his heart is, is breaking because he is, he, he's laying down 
so much of this. He knows, he's seen firsthand, you know, who Jesus is and what he can do and the promises that God has got. And he sees all of these people being sold short in these circumstances and contexts and cultures and going, guys, what are you, ha- what are you doing? God has got so much more. And it's into this, this context that he writes these letters to, to his people that are now in these lands where he's got reminding them of the things that God has has um has shown them and and what it is quite a practical it is a whole lot of practicalities around guys this is what it actually means to live out your faith in this world and to live it out within community and um he's writing this under pressure too because it's actually pretty soon after this that james has actually muttered himself and you really kind of hear as you read through the book that there's a real sense of urgency within it. There's some times when he's actually pretty straight up the guts with some stuff, eh? And you're like, oh, that's not fluffy. Like, that's not kind. That's, you know, like, not like affirmation sandwich, you know, like affirm, be like, you guys are doing really well. And, okay, here's the correction. Here's the, like, sometimes he's just like, whammo, guys, you guys have got to sort this out. You can't live like this and you can't treat each other like this. This is not okay. God is not pleased with this. God has not played this incredibly high price. My brother has not gone to the cross for you guys to be treating each other this way. That's not okay. And so this is the context that he he starts speaking into. And so you really hear this urgency that, that within this letter, he's going, guys, this stuff is important. This stuff, I want you to catch it and I want you to live it out because there isn't time to muck around. And if you're going to continue to do this, then people are going to lose their faith. People are going to walk away from things, and you're going to end up compromising the gospel and compromising the church and what God can do in this place. So that gives us a little bit of the context to the the place in which he's writing. And he's encouraging them that not to lose hope in the midst of pain and the challenges that they're facing, but to be encouraged that God can still do amazing work in amongst the suffering that they are facing, in amongst the challenges they are facing, in amongst the blessing that they are facing at times as well. So the book is a challenge to us on how we truly respond when we are under when we are under pressure. That there are trials and temptations in life and not to be deceived by this. That favoritism and treating people differently because they are rich or poor isn't okay with God. That our faith and our actions are both important as not one or the other. That how we talk about each other and to each other is important. And that God can give us wisdom so that we can make good decisions in the midst of challenging circumstances. How we surrender our lives to God is important and shapes our futures, how we treat people, our character, and our faith. And so it's in this context that he starts to write this letter that's become the book of James. And he starts off in James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. So this is where it's going out to all his people in all these different places. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face many trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind." Now, who else at that stage, this is the first six sentences, right, or first six verses, when they received that letter, 
would have put it down and gone, well, stuff you, James. Like, let's be honest. We were talking about it as a staff this week. That actually, when you're under persecution, when you have just moved countries, when you have had to leave a whole lot of your friends and family behind, when you're struggling to integrate your faith, the thing that you do not want to hear from your pastor encouraging you is consider the situation pure joy. What is wrong with you, you nut job? Like, like in all seriousness, and I think this has been the challenge from generation to generation to generation, that when we face trials and we are in hard circumstances, the last thing we want to be told is to consider this pure joy. This was the conclusion we came to as a staff on Friday. But actually, that's the challenge of following Jesus, that God has done something that is so deep within us, that can actually be so significant, that it can outwork itself, that in any trial, in any circumstance, in any challenge, that relationship that we have with God can allow our perspective to be shifted on our circumstances where we can actually look at situations and consider it joy because there is nothing that God is not working and moving in when he is given the opportunity. And so we join with the generations that have gone before us and we read this and we take it as a challenge to our attitudes in tough situations. The reality of what it looks like to walk out our faith in the midst of challenges. And so James writes to them and to us to encourage us that no matter our circumstances, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have the ability to have a different perspective. No matter your circumstances, you will always have a choice to make in your attitude and your actions and how you respond. Consider it pure joy because God is allowing something to be formed within you, something to be dealt with in you, something to be graced within you. Coming back to that which we know, which has been made certain in our life because of the work of Jesus Christ. It's in the tough challenges but we, that we remember that there isn't time for mucking around. He reminds us that if we choose to feed our thoughts of doubt, if we choose to give into that, then we come like, become like waves, waves that are determined by the weather and the current. And he says, nothing, nothing good comes from that, right? But instead, the challenge is to be like a boy within the ocean, right? One of the, not like a boy, like a man in the ocean, but a boy like this kind of boy. Something that has the ability to move with the waves. Because let's be honest, we're not going to not have doubts. We're not going to not challenge or, you know, those sorts of things. But instead, being in the ocean, but being anchored to something that is deep and solid and certain. That's what our faith should look like. It's a perseverance that develops maturity. Something that has some stickability. It's that which God is trying to develop in us because we talked about this at Young Adults Camp a couple of weekends ago that our faith shouldn't look like it looked when we were 14, but it should be changing and growing and shaping and and look different when we're in our mid-20s and look different when we're in our 30s and our 40s. We should be growing in our maturity and that comes by sticking it out in tough situations and seeing where God is working and moving and choosing an attitude where we choose to consider it pure joy and choose that God is going to work in and through that. 
See, it's when I think of perseverance, it develops an attitude like this in us. We become these kinds of Christians, right? That no matter the circumstances, something within us is going to rally, that something's going to trust that God is working in and through, that we might suck, but there's a plan and there's a place, right? See, I'm not looking to belittle any tough situations. I have walked through some of them. I know some of the ones that are in this room, and I know many that aren't, but I know we will all face them. And I'm not trying to deny that they are hard and that they are tough and that they hurt and they bring us to tears sometimes. But I'm challenging that we can choose to know the promises of God within those trials and within those situations. We can choose to consider it pure joy and know that God is never going to leave us and never going to forsake us. And that in any given opportunity, we can know the peace that surpasses all understanding. It's in our circumstances that our attitude matters, how we respond matters, what we hold to matters, how our faith is shaped matters. When troubles arise, uh, we can have joy that is not dependent on circumstances and a peace that surpasses all understanding in the midst of troubles when we have a firm foundation of faith. When troubles arise, changing our perspective can shape and help us in the maturity process of our faith, which is no easy journey, but something we need to have some honest conversations around, right? So on that note,